Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. friends we welcome you in to another edition of inside boxing live i am your host dan canobio thank you very much for joining me again for another week of hard-hitting boxing news we're getting ready for the middle of march uh if you take a look at the april boxing schedule it's absolutely loaded uh there's about a six-week stretch from april uh to i would say eight-week stretch april and may absolutely loaded from jam-packed from Canelo fighting Bivol to, you know, Fury versus uh, Dillian White, to Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor, uh, Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez. You know, fights are being added to the schedule left and right uh, for these uh, April and May. It's going to be absolutely loaded. We have a great show planned for you today. Claudia Trejos of The Zone. Uh, in so many other great uh, platforms, a woman's trailblazer uh, as we just celebrated International Women's Day. That's not just enough sometimes. We need to celebrate women in sports all the time. Claudia is a good friend of mine, and she's been in the game for a very, very long time. Uh, I'm not trying to age her, uh, Claudia. Uh, she'll probably get upset for me saying that, but she is a, a trailblazer, someone that uh, the first woman to cover Olympic boxing, first woman to cover a fight in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so many firsts for her. She was there in a attendance uh for chocolatitos i would say destruction or controlled chaos against uh, jc martinez as chocolatito does it again he'll be the focal point uh, of my conversation with with claudia uh, as well as like the, the 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 fight venues that we saw this past weekend whether it was friday night with jose uh, ramirez's win over jose pedraza in fresno which was a raucous crowd saturday night that crowd in san diego I don't know about you guys at home. I felt it through the TV. I felt the energy. It helps having Canelo in attendance. It helps having Chocolatito. Uh, it helps having uh, Mauricio Lara. That fight, that, that co-main event was nine minutes of straight carnage. But let's get these fights out of casinos. Yes, they are important, casinos and Vegas and all that. Get these fights into these markets where the fans are hungry for boxing. And that's San Diego, a fight town that I love. I, I was there this past summer. So... All things Chocolatito, uh, not all things, but most things Chocolatito with, with Claudia Trejos. Uh, we'll touch on some other topics as well. But, man, did he turn back the hands of time again, Roman Gonzalez. Didn't think he did. Uh, you know, there were some out there that, that thought he'd have his hands full with J.C. Martinez, who proved to be strong, brave, didn't really exactly have a good game plan, came in overweight, uh, you know, came in with – he had a plan A. His plan A was, I'm going to hit Chocolatito a lot early and often, and I'm going to hit him hard, see how he deals with it. And those first couple of rounds, I thought uh, Martinez looked looked good. I was like, oh, man, Chocolatito's in for a ch- tough fight. And then he just either ran out of steam. He, I, know, I mean, he might have broken his hand, Martinez, injured his hand, and then Chocolatito just turned it on, uh, you know, threw 1,076 punches, which is actually uh, his lowest total since the first Estrada fight in 2012, but was able to uh, ramp up the accuracy. 51% power punches landed for Chocolatito. Could this be a new, uh, less or, or, or more selective Chocolatito at 1,000 punches, which is absurd? But what's next for him? You know, Superfly division, red hot. You know, almost every division in boxing right now is red hot. And that's because 
We have four platforms putting on fights almost every weekend. So you're seeing more fights than ever now. I'm not saying they're the best fights, but for the most part, they are good fights. But we're seeing a lot of fights. This is a golden era of fans watching fights, being able to get access to streams, fights, fight cards all across the world. And speaking of weight classes, I want to do something here for our first segment of the show. And it's the 140-pound division. Obviously, we saw what happened two weeks ago when Josh Taylor won a decision over Jack Catterall. And if you're listening, I just did air quotes around one. I thought Jack Catterall won. Uh, it is now going from the, the British board uh, to the government over in the UK. A little dramatic. Uh, they're not going to overturn that fight. But I want to take a look at the 140-pound division because this past weekend we saw Jose Ramirez defeat Jose Pedraza in a somewhat close fight. But I'm going to rank the top eight. And the reason I'm doing top eight is because I'm also going to do a bracket. I'm also going to do a, a, a mythical tournament uh, here on Inside Boxing Live. But I'm going to take Josh Taylor out of this top eight because he says he's moving up. He's talking about catch weights. He's talking about fighting guys at, at 148. He's all over the place right now. But I think his days at 140 are over unless proven otherwise. I've got to take him for his word. I'm also going to add Tiafimo to this list for entertainment purposes because I do think his next fight will be at 140. So... Without further ado, I'm going to rank the top eight junior welterweights. And with number eight, we start with Arnold Barboza, 26-0, signed with top rank. His last fight was unanimous decision win over Antonio Moran over on August 14th. Does not have a fight on the schedule, but is talking a lot of trash, and he is pointing it at Tiafimo Lopez. Uh, that's a fight that can be made at 140 in the top rank stable. Don't think he gets... Tiofimo uh, off the bat. I don't think Tiofimo is going to take uh, that type of fight in his first fight at 140. Maybe, maybe not, but uh, just a guessing man, me here. I don't have any insider info here. I, I don't see Barboza fighting Tiofimo next, but he's a very good fighter, active fighter. Throws 78 punches around, 35 jabs per round, lends 40% of his power. I got Arnold Barboza at number eight. Coming in number seven, I'm basing this off of projection a little bit. I'm basing this off of where I see this guy in maybe a year or two, maybe even less in the division. That's Gary Antoine Russell, 14-0, uh, 14 knockouts. His last win was his best win when he beat Victor Postal. Obviously, uh, it, it, there was a stoppage late with about 30 seconds to go in the 10th and final round. Uh, easily could have went to the cards, uh, but that kept his KO streak alive. He's one of maybe four or five guys or top guys in boxing right now that have a perfect record, uh, perfect KO percentage. Better be Ev, uh, Virgil Ortiz, uh, Gary Antoine Russell. I'm sure I'm, I'm missing some other guys. Uh, but 65 punches around. Uh, you know, really depends on the power shots, Gary, Gary Russell. Uh, 17 of 20. Uh, 17 of his 20 landed punches per round are power shots. There's a lot of things really sound in there. Uh, but the thing with the Russ, he shares a name with his brother, and his brother fought once a year, famously. I want to see more active. I, I think Gary Antoine Russell is going to be a lot more active than his brother, and that's not saying much. But I got Gary Russell, Antoine Russell at number seven, a guy that I think is going to be a future world champion and might be the most talented of, of all these guys, and that's saying a lot. Coming in at number six is a wild card of the division, Subriel Matias. This guy is a stud. 18 and 1, 18 knockouts, really, really heavy hands. His last fight uh, was a TKO 9 over Petros Anion, and that was his only loss. He avenged that loss to Anion by knocking him out or stopping him inside uh, of 10 rounds. Uh, Matias is. 
could easily be, you know, one or two, if you want to go off just like punching power and just like raw, raw ability. But we want to see him in there with, with tougher talent. We want to see him in there with uh, some of the top names at 140. Maybe we do see that. Who knows? But uh, doesn't have a fight date scheduled. Uh, you know, he's, his last fight came uh, in January. So expect to see him and with the way it goes these days, I don't know, six, seven months from now. But uh, he lands 27 of 80. He throws a lot of punches, 87 punches around. That's a lot. Coming in at number five. And I said, I'm, I'm putting him in this list for entertainment purposes. And because I think he's going to be in the division uh, for his next fight. Teofimo Lopez coming in at number five, uh, 16 and one, 12 knockouts. His last fight, of course, was when he lost to George Cambosos, lost all his belts at 135. His best win is Vasily Lomachenko. Lance 45% of his power shots at lightweight. He's very accurate, very economical too. That's the thing with Tiafimo is he doesn't throw a lot of punches. He throws under 50 punches around, but he is very, very sharp with the power shots. Doesn't have much of a jab. Uh, you saw that against Cambosa. So it was his undoing in that fight. He, uh, he couldn't box. He just going to brawl. But I think at 140, he can be a, a, a player. I think he can rule a division there too, just like he did it at 135. But there's so many ifs. You know, if he gets his mind right, because... You see on social media, he's all over the place. If he gets his personal life right uh, from stuff I'm hearing, not good. If he uh, gets his trainer uh, situation settled, whether it's going to still be his dad, there's rumors of him going with Eddie Reynoso. So a lot of ifs with Tiafimo. There's no doubt that when he's right, he is one of the best fighters in all of boxing. Coming in at number four, Jose Zapata, 35-2, and two, 27 knockouts, so technically sound, uh, just solid, a very solid fighter. He's been at the weight for a while now. His last uh, uh, fight was a KO1 over uh, Josue Vargas. Remember that fight? That was brutal. In some brutal fights. We remember that 2020 fight of the year with Ivan Baranchitz. Knocked down a billion times, uh, but was able to land that devastating punch on Baranchitz. So he has KO power. Don't let it fool you. Very soft-spoken guy that he can crack. He's got wins over Baranchitz, like I said. Pedraza, uh, that close decision loss to Jose Ramirez. That could be his potential next opponent. For that vacant WBC title, if Josh Taylor uh, vacates him, that's why we're doing this conversation. But uh, I like Cepeda a lot. Um, you know, very sound. Like I said, 31% of his landed punches are body shots. That's a good number when you get over 30%. Lands 42% of his power shots. Solid, solid, solid guy at number four. Number three, Regis Progre. 26-1 with 22 KOs. His last fight was all the way back in April. When he beat Ivan Redcatch, and when I say beat, I don't know what the hell happened in that. I'm still trying to figure out the injury uh, to Redcatch when he was taken out on a stretcher. Uh, but, you know, the thing with Regis Progre, it's like, what is going on with his career? You know, fought Josh Taylor in that very, very close, the final of the World Boxing Super Series. In 2019, he's only had two fights since then. None of them were at 140 either. Catchweight king, Regis Progre. One of his fights was at like 142 pounds. The other one was at like 143. That's the bad news. The good news is he's fighting next week. It's also another good news, bad news situation. He's fighting next week against Tyrone McKenna, and it's at 140. But we want to see Regis Progray in tougher fights than Tyrone McKenna. No no disrespect to, to McKenna, but this is a guy that that is uh, could be a, a, a top guy, Regis Progray. So fight, start fighting top guys. He's not in the spring chicken anymore either. Regis Progray is like 32 or 33 years old. And I love that he's getting paid. Like he got paid handsomely for the red catch fight uh, over a million dollars for that one. And he's probably getting a really good amount to fight in Dubai on Probellum against Tyron McKenna. That's great because Regis Progre did not have the same come up as some of the, the uh, you know, these prospects. He had a fight and claw uh, as part of the Bella uh, entertainment roster. 
you know, to get into a position to win a title at 140, uh, to get in position to get into the World Boxing Super Series. So now he's cashing out, but come on, man, get in there with some of these big names. It's ripe for the taking if you could still make the weight. Uh, he's flirted with 147 in the past, but if he can get boiled down to 140, you know, he can get a title shot really quick. Coming in at number two, Jose Ramirez. I have him at number two based off of the fact that he's been in the division. He's a former unified champion. He's fought some big names. He just fought this past weekend, picked up the 27th uh, win of his career. Uh, it's just like a mixed bag when it comes to Jose Ramirez coming up the ranks. He was like, wow, this guy's a can't miss former Olympian, you know, aggressive Mexican fighter. But over the last couple of performances, you know, the Josh Taylor performance, obviously was first loss of, of his career, the close decisions, over Cepeda, where a lot of people thought that Cepeda won, that Orozco fight. A lot of people thought Orozco won. You know, the thing with Jose Ramirez is I feel like in his biggest fights, he doesn't always, you know, shine the brightest. He comes up a little short, leaves something to be desired. And I thought that was the case with Pedraza. You know, he didn't hurt Pedraza once in that fight. Pedraza's crafty. I'll give him that. But, you know, I want to see more out of Jose Ramirez. But I have him at number two uh, out of respect and the fact that he's been in this division for a while. And like I said, former unified champion, number one, drum roll, please. This is going to be controversial, but my logic is if you beat the man who had all the belts, you are now the man that's Jack Catterall. Number one, I believe he beat Josh Taylor. So if say he did get the official win Catterall, then he would be number one. I mean, that's just how it works. And if someone chirped me on Twitter last, uh, last night, well, would you have Cambosis number one at one thirty-five? I understand the logic there, but I wouldn't have Cambosis number one at 135, even though he has majority of the belts because 135 is loaded with raw talent. 140 is not loaded with raw talent. There are solid fighters, but none are pound for pound levels. Maybe Tiafimo if he gets back uh, in, in the win column. That's why I have Jack Catterall number one. He beat the man uh, who beat the man. Uh, his last fight, like I said, uh, was with Josh Taylor, and I thought he won. He's very economical, Taylor. He's got a great one-two. Some people would say basic. I say, you know, he's using his bread and butter. Throws just 44 punches around. But let's look at this. 45% of his landed punches are to the body. He hurt Taylor a bunch to the body. That's a really, really high number. He lands 40% of his power. And that's mostly because he's very economical. So there is my top eight. Pedra, uh, excuse me, Barboza at eight. Gary Antoine Russell at seven. Sabriel Matias at six. Tiafimo Lopez at five. Jose Cepeda at four, Regis Progre at three, Jose Ramirez at two, Jack Catterall coming in at number one. So now it's time for the mythical Inside Boxing Live tournament at 140 pounds. Your number one seed, Jack Catterall, going up against the number eight seed, Arnold Barboza. And with this one, I got Catterall winning. He wins a unanimous decision over Barboza. He's able to figure him out early. Barboza bamboozles him with his 80 punches around. Catterall finds a way to win. Let's go to our second matchup here, the 4-5 seed. It's Jose Cepeda versus Tiafimo Lopez in this mythical matchup. And wow, this is a shootout. Love this fight. Imagine this one, Cepeda versus Tiafimo. Tiafimo's first fight at 140 as the 5 seed in this mythical tournament. He beats Cepeda in a close split decision. His first fight at 140, split decisions. Zepeda rocks him with a few shots early. Tiafimo shakes him off to get the decision win. Controversial, but everything in Tiafimo's life at this moment is controversial. Now let's go to the 3-6 matchup. 
Regis Progre and Sabriel Matias. Talk about a shootout. Wow. Uh, Progre, powerful. Matias, powerful. I got Regis Progre knocking out and stopping Matias late. Matias is going to have his moments. He's going to be able to land shots on Progre early. He's going to throw a lot of punches. He's going to overwhelm Progre. But Progre is a cagey vet. He's going to bring the fight inside. He's going to land a body shot to hurt Matias. And then he's going to stop him in, in the later rounds to pick up a win and move on to the next round. Our 2-7 matchup, Jose Ramirez versus Gary Antoine Russell. This is now March. We're in March. March Madness is right around the corner. Upset city here. The young gun, Gary Antoine Russell, upsets Jose Ramirez, the two-seed, to move on. Uh, he beats him uh, in a deciding, decisive fashion, I, I say. Goes to the scorecards, and Gary Antoine Russell wins a unanimous decision in the first round. That leads to our semifinal. So we got the number one seed. Jack Catterall going up against Teofimo Lopez, man. I'm getting excited because I wish we had tournaments like this. But Jack Catterall gets upset by Teofimo. If Teofimo's right, now let's just, in this mythical fake world we're living in, in this tournament, Teofimo has a win now at 140 over Zapata. Got his confidence. He's back in the, tra- in the proper training schedule. He's got his mind right. So, therefore, he beats Jack Catterall, and I think he stops uh, Jack Catterall. So, Teofimo Lopez moves on to the finals, our other semifinal matchup is the 3-7 matchup. Regis Progre versus Gary Antoine Russell. And I love Gary Antoine Russell. I think he's going to be a champion at 140. I think he could be a pound-for-pound type of of fighter. But Regis has too much firepower, too much smarts. Uh, We saw a little bit uh, of that that Gary Russell isn't exactly 100% ready uh, in that post-style fight. But, you know, Progre has a lot more in the tank than post-style, has a lot more power, a little more elusiveness. And I think Progre beats Gary Antoine Russell in a close fight to move on to the finals. Okay, here are our finals, folks. Tiafimo Lopez, the five seed. He now has two fights under his belt at 140. He's feeling real good. He's back to the takeover. He's talking trash. I mean, he talks trash even when he loses. But he's talking trash, and he's going up against Regis Progre. A, this is outstanding for the finals. You know, I've been around both these guys, too. <laughs> I've hung out with both these guys and they kind of size each other up. They make jokes. Uh, they say one day we're going to see each other. And now they're seeing each other in this mythical tournament and the finals of this 140 pound uh, tournament. Tifimo versus Regis Progre, um, a technical fight. You know, both guys, like I said, under 50 punches thrown around. Explosive though. You know, both guys land big shots early on. Uh, you know, ebbs and flows. A, a classic going down. Uh, I'm going to say it's going down on MSG, the, the New Yorker in me. Tiafimo gets a decision. Both guys hit the canvas throughout the fight. Tiafimo gets up and is able to get the hand raised at the end. Tiafimo Lopez <laughs> is the champion of this mythical, fake tournament at 140 pounds. I know it's going to be met with criticism, but there are a lot of ifs here. With Tifimo Lopez. I think we can all agree that he has supreme talent. I think we can all agree that he's going to be a world champion again. A lot of ifs. If it goes right. You know, if he can get his, his mind right, that's which is not easy. It's a hard thing these days. Tough, very tough uh, in, in this boxing world. You know, one day you're on top, next day you're down low. One day you're the man at the guy at 135. You got, you know, sponsorships with with uh you know bud light and, and you get nike this that and the other next day you lose and everyone's clowning you but i think if he gets his mind right to him he's got the most skills at 140 and that's the beauty of this division is we're going to see 
uh, a lot shake out. If Taylor leaves, which I think he's going to do, if he enters the fray, let's say maybe even Devin Haney enters the fray. I mean, they're, they're circling right now in the water, everyone. The promoters, the organizations trying to figure out who's going to be the next couple champions at 140 pounds. But that's my fun little tournament there. If you disagree, you agree, bring it at me. But here she is. Here she is. Here she is. Claudia Trejos. Okay, it's time to bring in our guest this week here on Inside Boxing Live, a friend of mine, a friend of yours, if you're a boxing fan, Claudia Trejo. So, Claudia, hold on. Before we get you in, I'm going to read off your, your accolades because they are so impressive to me. And if you don't know, now you do know. Among the first women to cover a sporting event in Saudi Arabia, the first Hispanic woman to do commentary on an NBA broadcast, and the first woman to cover Olympic boxing this past week, International Women's Day. That's not enough for me. I need International Women's uh, career for Claudia Trejos, a trailblazer, a great person, a, a fight freak, and here with us on Inside Boxing Live. How was that for an intro? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I'm having a hard time with that because when I hear that and then I add the amount of years. Yeah. So would it be fair to say I am the first because I've been around for so long? I am the first because I have so many flying hours. I've been the first because <laughs> somebody had to do it, not just because I, it, I mean, you're only good uh, as good as your last show. So right. I'm fortunate enough to love what I do. So I get to put my heart and my soul. So how can it go wrong? That's great. I mean, someone has to do it first. You're right. You're a trailblazer, mm -hmm. uh, you know to do those things, to be in Saudi Arabia as a woman covering a, a fight must have been tough. Just being a woman in, in boxing, I know, was hard. Uh, maybe not so much now. There's still much, so much more progress to be made, but I'm sure it wasn't easy, you know, late 80s, early 90s, where it's not the same world we're in today. Yes, absolutely. It was, it was rough. So my growth into boxing was almost natural, I would say, because I come from behind the scenes. So the fighters knew me from way back in the day when we used to do Wednesday night fights at the forum. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's rained a couple of times. We didn't have your dad on hand giving us the stats. So it was, we were, we were MSUing a lot at the time, you know, trying to keep track of who did what and who was being more effective without real stats. And I was, uh, I was an AP at the time and I was an assistant producer and I was a grip. And so I was the one that nobody really saw or heard of, but I was like behind the scenes running from one corner to to the other I didn't know trying that. to figure out oh yeah back in the day so so when one thing led to another and I became you know a host and a commentator in Spanish and English it was like but I thought you were here all the time what I don't know what, <laughs> what's the what best do you way to do it right I mean you got to work your way up I mean I did the same thing you know you, you start a lot of uh broadcasters they start behind the scenes they do anything and everything so you being a grip you doing running around because I'm sure you had aspirations to be on air right at all. You I did or didn't? No, never. Wow. So uh, since I was 16 years old, well, actually earlier, I wanted to be a, a doctor and I actually got my associates in pure and applied science and I went to LA wow. pursuing my medical career. And things in life happened. Uh, and, and then I was already working on TV, but I, it was, it was, my job was never a job, if that makes sense. It oh, was playtime for me. I would get off of school <laughs> and I would have like a part time job and I would like, you know, get whatever I had to do done mm -hmm. so I could make it to the ballpark, so I could make it to the ice rink, so I could make it to the basketball court, so I could make it to the fights. Yeah. 
because I was just assisting and I was a fan. I was literally a fan that was getting paid a couple of bucks an hour to either set up pedestals, do the white balance, you know, connect cameras. And then striking was the bomb because that's the quiet time in sports. Yeah. And that's when all the players are leaving and you're wrapping up. And that's when you get the rants and the, yeah, you suck tonight. And yeah. what the hell happened to you? You know, and, and it was, it was a gift. It was a little gift from God to me. Uh, and, and then one thing led to another and I was never, ever pursuing a career on camera or on TV period. Wow. It was, it was, and you're again, so good at it. You're like a natural because I love what I do. Now, if yeah. you have me talking about like, there were times that I had to replace a newscast yeah. and the newscaster, the anchor. Oh no, no real stuff. We don't do real. Yeah, like we real don't do news. real. We don't do. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because I don't read prompters. You know, this we've done yeah. this together. So I don't read prompter. And news is all about the prompter because everything is timed and you oh got to throw to an SOT and then you got to. And it was like, dude, really? I know the news. All I have to do is, you know, I'm all about engaging and making it conversational. Uh, news I would is love to see you do the news like today and you're, and you're you're sitting there and you're like, look at these gas prices. Can you believe this stuff? That would be like the most real newscast ever where you're like looking through the camera, like forget the prompter. Like, I'm not I guess I'm not driving this week stuff like that. Like I can see you just like being very real on a news telecast. That, and, and, and I think sports allow us to be ourselves mm -hmm. news. I understand you got to be very objective yeah. and neutral and yada, yada, yada. That's definitely not me. I'm very opinionated. You know, this mm -hmm. embrace debate. <laughs> yes. Well, well, but that, that also engages. I mean, yeah. and I don't mean to be rude. I don't think I've ever been rude, but I've been uh, clear and concise as mm -hmm. to where I stand in certain points. And, and I think our platform allows us to discuss very oh simple things, yeah. sports, who wins, who loses, how did yeah. they win? And, and, and it, it, it's just fun. It's especially fun. boxing too. I mean, it's just so much, everything is a debate. Everything next guy thinks or next woman thinks they know more than, than the next person. It just, there's so much debating in there, but how about, um, you know, someone had to be first, like you said, uh, you know, there, there mm -hmm. were others at the time as well, but you know, looking, I wouldn't say down, but just looking around and seeing all the women that are in boxing, whether it's, you know, Christina Poncher, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Michelle Joy Phelps, you know, whether I, I don't want to forget any, but whether, you know, all the women are, are around there uh, today, you know, I'm sure you're, you're very proud. And how about your message to them? Well, first, I am extremely proud because um, they're taking a chance and they're having faith on themselves. Uh, and, and it's not easy to take that step and say, I'm going to walk away from whatever it was that they were trying to do or whatever they thought they were supposed to do and taking a chance, because I understand most of them did not have the support from either their peers or the family members. So I'm glad that they're still here. The, you know, Cynthia Conti's, uh, yes, Cynthia uh, Michelle, Conti, yes. they're, they're, they're all and their moms and their sisters, and they have completely different functions at home. And they still make the time to come and do podcasts and cover the fights. And, and it means sacrificing other things like family life, like, you know, your regular life. We don't have a regular life. We're no. on the plane or on, on a, in an arena. So I'm very proud. I'm proud because they took a stand. And w my message is uh, trust yourself and allow time to just roll and don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, this is not serious. Life, life in general is not serious. We have serious circumstances, mm -hmm. but you have to, you can't control circumstances. If they hate you, if they don't hate you, if, right. if they add or if they adore you, if, if they criticize your opinion, it's just that.
Mm-hmm. Don't take yourself so serious. Yeah. I mean, you cannot control the circumstances. You can control your mindset. Your mindset should always be trust you and be you and know that nobody else can replace you. Anybody can replace a reporter, but nobody else can be Claudia or can be Dan or can be, you know, just face the fact that you're an individual and that is what you need to portray. Yeah. Great, great message there. And Corey Urban, our friend, put out a thread yesterday on Twitter uh, where he was highlighting a lot of the women in boxing, not just on camera, you know, those behind the scenes, you know, those that, um, you know, Emily, uh, Emily in boxing, she's a PR woman. She does a wonderful job. Or Sophia Zinger, who is yes. a zone producer who I've known since my the producer. HBO days. Yeah. It's how I've known her since the HBO days when she was doing graphics and doing stats and to see her rise is great. So Awesome stuff. Women belong in sports. Women belong in boxing. I know it's a male-dominated sport, but let's be honest, women's boxing in terms of the fights are incredible. I mean, they're going to be even better this year, too, but uh, it's awesome stuff, and uh, I, I uh, salute you for all the great stuff that you've done uh, over the years, and you know, I know you're a big inspiration to a lot of women out there, not just in the boxing world, but just uh, in, in sports uh in, in general so let's get into what we saw this past weekend you were there yes. in san diego uh beautiful san diego hell of a fight town we'll talk about that in a second but mm-hmm. roman chocolatito gonzalez did it again claudia he turned back the clock again uh you know there were some questions about whether he was going to get old overnight as a as a very old 34 year old just like myself you know i feel like that when i get out of bed sometimes but <laughs> chocolatito throws a thousand <laughs> punches uh he beats the younger stronger i would say fighter uh, not smarter fighter in, in JC Martinez, but just an absolutely outstanding performance from Chocolatito. What were your takeaways from being ringside? An outstanding evening of boxing across the board from the prelims to our main card. I mean, we had a chance to see outstanding fighters, but moreover, the fact that we had a chance to see Chocolatito here in the States and uh, having somebody como El Rey Martinez doing his uh, debut in the U.S. was outstanding. And let's not forget that we've seen El Rey rise like a, like foam, really. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because we had a chance to speak to Canelo right before the fight. And he said, don't expect a technical fight from somebody like El Rey. He's young. Uh, it's very short career compared to somebody like El Chocolatito. He hasn't been exposed to fighters of the level of Chocolatito. But I'm going to tell you that guy will just take it to the last bell. My my that. colleague and I, Ricardo, we're looking at each other. We're thinking, you know, this this is if it goes. I mean, our analysis said, and based on your dad's very um, exact stats, if it gets past the six, is all the way chocolatito. Mm-hmm. But Martinez has to bring the fight to him and really look for that knockout before the six, because we had our doubts about his stamina. Stamina, stamina. Wow, yeah. I can't even speak That's a anymore. Tough word. It is a hard word. Stamina. Mm-hmm. The truth is, we were not let down. It was, uh, I, I'd say the last two rounds could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricardo, my colleague, my play-by-play, gave it to El Rey. I didn't give either one to El Rey, but it could have gone either way. But it was amazing how he, uh, somebody as young as El Rey would try to neutralize the expertise and the schooling with power. lot of effort to take punches and just be able to sit and throw a power punch yeah you're right i mean it's, i thought it, jc martinez fought a really good fight claudia um it was I, not I, smart it wasn't smart but it was brave no. it was brave yes. you know on the second i watched it again even when i was i was i was counting uh jc martinez for for copy box and you know I, I was looking and seeing like you know he's first round he came out he landed a lot of flush shots he did land a lot on chocolate tito it just he was good 
But Chocolatito was just on another level. I mean, that's, I mean, Roman Gonzalez is a, is a Hall of Famer. He got, it was man versus boy, but. Literally, literally. Yeah, it, was, it was man versus boy. Like JC Martin, like Canelo told you, like he went in there and was like, I think his game plan was, I'm going to give him my best punches, my best shot early on. And then there was no second. There was no plan B. It was just no, like, there was zero. The hope for the best. And with Chocolatito, I mean, his defense is uh, has improved so much. Immaculate. In this, yeah, in this ladder, ladder, he does get hit a lot, but he, it has improved much. You know, he he can his punch resistance is amazing. He doesn't really cut, uh, and he doesn't really swell either. So I mean, a lot of things have to go right. But you know, this version of Chocolatito, I tweeted this out, and, and it's actually funny. I mean, he his a thousand. 1,706 punches were his lowest 12-round total since 2012. But his accuracy was through the roof. His power punch accuracy was 51%. So, you know, obviously 1,000 punches is rarefied air in boxing. But for Chocolatito, it's really not. It's kind of low. I mean, it's like 1,300, 1,400 on, you know, on average. But for him to kind of adapt to a new style where – Maybe he doesn't throw, you know, 100 punches around. Maybe he lowers it, but he's more economical. It's kind of what Pacquiao did towards the end of his career to beat these younger guys, to, you know, reserve all, you know, your energy for, for late because Chocolatito did throw a, a fight high, 160 punches in the 12th round. That's a scary thought to me because, you know, I think it showed on Saturday night that Chocolatito has some more left in him. Uh, whether he goes to 118, whether he stays at, at 115, if he fights like he did on Saturday night, a little more calculated, but still very smart, he can beat anybody at 115. And just just to add to those very precise stats, thank you, Mr. Canobio. Let's add to the fact that his stamina and what you mentioned about his his capacity to just overcome, he got punched, but they seemed like nothing hurt. He just kept going forward. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that he did mention was that he was going to use El Rey's uh, effort to close the gap so he didn't have to waste energy looking after, going after, Mm -hmm. being on the on on the on the on the search of his opponent. And that proved to be a very, very efficient uh, fight plan, because like you said, by the 12th round, he's still like he was very consistent along the whole fight. Very consistent. Stayed around. Very you know, consistent. He, he was around 78 to 80 punches around uh-huh. for him as low because he averages 90 around. And I was like, wow, he's he's really dropped it down a little bit. But then it shot right up when he threw 160 in the 12th round uh, to close it out. And and, uh, you know, like just put an exclamation point, took over that fight uh, in the Hands second down. half. Yeah. And now everyone's looking to, to what's next. I mean, obviously, it's kind of funny. The chocolate, you know, uh, Roman Gonzalez is probably the best super fly weight. And he's not even doesn't have a belt. Uh, Juan Francisco Estrada uh, has the WBA. You know, Josh Franco has a belt. You got uh, I'm sorry. Jesse Rodriguez has a belt. Josh Franco has a secondary belt in the WBA. This is all nonsense. Fernando Martinez, IVF champ. And then you got Ioka WBA. These are all. And then Sirik Sorung Vasai is waiting in the wings too. all great fights. Chocolatito, who do you want to see him fight next? Well, it doesn't matter what I say, it's what he wants. And I'm gonna, I'm there's, I'm gonna just give fight next. I would like to see him fight Estrada again because remember that fight in Dallas was a very questionable decision, Mm -hmm. it could have gone either way. Again, it was one of those close fights, high producing fighters. The fight, the pendulum kept swaying to both A and B, it was amazing. So, if we got a chance to see another explosive fight, but I'm gonna add this. Once the fight was done, he came down to speak to us. 
and you know all the accolades and congratulations and he says yeah now do you all keep asking me if i'm gonna retire or when am i gonna retire so i'm gonna drop this and he dropped the bomb right there he says two more fights and i'm done wow two more fights i just need two more fights i'm tired he's tired i mean he's turned pro at 18 at 21 he was a world champion at 27 he was pound for pound number one at 30 he was written off after that run beside knockout had to build himself back up a lot of wars a lot of mileage on that odometer and just to just to put everything in context, there were not just physical wars. There are also mental wars. You got to remember that for the first uh, fight against Rungu Visay, his parent, his dad yeah. slash trainer that had been with him since he was 16 or 14, or that parental figure mm-hmm. died. And he had a hard time. He never went into solitude mode. He went straight to work mode without yeah. his corner. Then he brought in his dad for that second fight. He was not mentally or physically prepared for that fight. Mm -hmm. So, yes, are you as good as your last fight? We usually say you are, but goes to show we could be wrong because he proved that he doesn't have two lungs. He has four lungs. He's nuts. He's he's, He's crazy. He's he's just an all-time great. And I said after the fight when I did a little video, it's like, a guy, he's a throwback fighter that could have fought in any era, but we're so lucky that he's fighting in this era. So we Amen. get to watch it. Uh, but, you know, he there was a little bit of a rumor about fighting in a way, which I think would be, a it's just too much. I mean, I'd love to see it because I love these these mega events. Like, yes, I would like it because like, it would be like a big Super Bowl. It would be a, a big event for Chocolatito. It would be a chance for him to get his highest payday, whether he, you know, it might not go his way because in a way is legitimately a monster, uh, pardon the pun, but, you know, something like that where he can maybe against Donaire or something where he can. You know, I don't think Donaire at this point in time has much to show uh, Chocolatito, not necessarily because of the punch stats, yeah. but experience flying hours. And it's just what you saw on Saturday was mm-hmm. textbook giving somebody a lesson, how to walk the ring, the ring generalship, sit behind a jab, combinations, flurries, holding back energy. Inoue, uh, Inoka, I mean, could be a very good fight, except, and I'm going to side with Chocolatito. He's going to be putting his legacy on the line. He already knows what it is to lose. So basically that's not going to, that's going to be another stripe in the tiger's fur. But I'm bringing a whole lot of experience and time and eyeballs. Yeah. I need to get paid. Yeah, you need and to get paid. His- I mean, everyone, I think everyone will will agree with that. This guy, uh, I don't know what his uh, what he made for probably close to a million for, for this last one. The guy deserves so much more. Uh, so I wouldn't fault him for looking for like a huge fight. Uh, but you know, a big payday, a big payday. I mean, payday, payday. He deserves the payday. Just like Canelo says, he deserves it. Uh, but I want to quickly talk about the fight atmosphere. Uh, this Friday night, we saw a fight in Fresno. That's the hometown Mm -hmm. of Jose Ramirez. The crowd was awesome. Saturday night. I wasn't lucky enough to be there like you were. Uh, but I was in San Diego this past summer for a uh, Tabella Broadway boxing that was sold out. And this is like low level club show. You could feel the energy in that building through the television into my living room. I want to see more fights in locations like this. Obviously, site fees are a big thing economically. You know, there's going to be fights in casinos in Vegas. I mean, they, they pay. They pay the freight, and that, that's very important. But every once in a while, come on, let's get a fight in a, in a, in a place like San Diego, a place like Fresno, a place, you know, outside of the box of a, of a sterile casino environment. The, the atmosphere in San Diego, from what I saw, was just tremendous. 
I, it was absolutely outstanding. And as you were doing the fight, we were watching you guys because we all huddled up in the lobby and it was around phones and iPads watching Jose Carlos Ramirez, huge fan, Robert Garcia, huge fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it's electrifying. And I remember back in the day when we used to do boxing in Los Angeles that we would do Wednesday nights and we do Friday nights. You remember the time when we did Prime Ticket, then it later yeah. became Prime Sports. There were smaller venues and, and we, we could still smoke in arenas. So it was all smoke filled environments. You were smoking it was your cigars? Yes, oh, of yeah. course I was smoking my cigars. It was the it was the era of burnt sugar, for God's sakes, oh, and sugar. Go. Whiskey and, and I would always have a stick, a good stick to share. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it's fantastic. Uh, but unfortunately, financially, it doesn't make sense for the big, big events. No, I get that. Now, because of the same exact reason. I mean, casinos actually help us with mm -hmm. selling of the tickets, uh, promotion. It a lot carries on these big casinos. Let, let's not forget, MGM owns the whole strip. So when you promote a fight like a Canelo coming up against... Uh, um Evil. Uh, oh my God, Dimitri Bivol. It's going to be all over the place. You know, Callum well, Smith, yeah. Billy Joe that. Saunders. And I understand. I understand. But I think everything has its place and its time. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Uh, El Rey Martinez was coming up in weight. He was facing a legend. So that on its own, the, the weight of the promotion is on El Chocolatito. Yeah. So you don't have two megastars. So that, that actually allows for a smaller venue. Yeah. But when you're having two megastars, in this case, and I'm going to go back to the Triple G era with Canelo, two fights. It was jam-packed. If we were to have a, a fight of that size, you the tickets would be, yeah. it, it, we, we can't. I, I'm and talking now, about and, like, uh, you're making great points. And obviously a big, big fights, you know, the, the biggest fighters in the game fighting each other. Those belong in Vegas. Those belong. Yes. I'm, I'm talking like, for instance, not to single like out. Like what we saw this weekend. La Jose exactly. Ramirez like that. Yes. Or like not to single out Showtime, but, you know, last week or two weeks ago, you know, the card with Victor Postal, uh, the card with uh, when he fought Gary Antoine Russell. And why is the main event slipping from my mind? But anyway. Because we have those brain farts. It's yeah, okay. because there's so many fights that uh, they yes. all blend into one. But that one where it was in Vegas, I, mean, I, I, know, for, I know that the casino paid uh, them to do it there, you know, Gary, Gary, oh, it was Chris Colbert uh, in the uh, main event who got upset. Now, Chris Colbert's okay. from the East Coast. He's from Newark. Uh, Gary Russell's from Maryland. Like that fight belonged on the East Coast. That fight belonged yes. somewhere in the middle between those two fan bases. I could see that in Rhode Island. I could see right. that in Boston. I could see that even in the Hulu Center. Exactly. But the thing is, is that they put it in Vegas and I get it. Like, I understand why they do it because that's how they it's economically it, it makes sense but you know this is you know semantics small stuff like but it you know it, it, you can see the difference saturday night felt in san diego felt like alive it felt amazing you know canelo in attendance a lot of big names there uh you know just everybody was there i mean all the ladies <laughs> were there. was there i was there but you know what something that blew my mind talking about regions San Diego usually hosts Mexican fighters for obvious reasons. It's across mm -hmm. the border. You bring, you know, the Jaime Munguias of the world yeah. and the Erika Terrible Morales of the world. It's right across the border. Dan, I kid you not. The minute that the pendulum started swaying towards Chocolatito, sixth, seventh round, it was Nicaragua alive in that Pachanga arena. That's awesome. It was like Chocolatito and they would call Nicaragua and there were flags all over the place. I was impressed because usually it's Mexico and oh, that's for it. Sure. That's what this I was worried time, about. That's what I'm worried about with Chocolatito. It's like, 
obviously American fans are starting to uh, over the last couple of years figure figure it out and appreciate him. Nicaragua is such a small country; he doesn't have mm-hmm. like the Mexican fan base behind him or a Puerto Rican fan base behind him or uh, some of the other Latino uh, countries behind him. It, it, it's like I want him to get like a huge ovation, but he did, like you're saying, he did. Yes, he did, and it was fantastic. And let's not forget that he carried on the legacy of somebody like Alexis Arguello, oh, yeah. which is not easy to be said mm-hmm. or even talk about it right now. But Alexis Arguello left such a very strong footprint in what boxing is supposed to look like and what fighters from Nicaragua can bring to the table. And he created a transition that that's actually what created the Chocolatito, who was trained originally by Alexis Arguello. So cool. It's Never, so doesn't cool because celebrate, doesn't celebrate after a win. I went back and watched that knockout of Cal Yafai. No, he doesn't. Didn't like his first thing. He ran over to Yafai and like kind of like lifted him up and held him. You know, yes. Aguero was the same way. Uh, yes, that's an epic. I mean, and it's so cool. And I'm glad. I'm so happy that you know that that uh, Roma Gonzalez is getting like the recognition that that he deserves. He he's up there, man. He's up there with the Pacquiao's, uh, the Mayweather's, Andre Ward's. Uh, you know, Tyson Fury's of the best of this uh generation uh you know this era and now i'm gonna ask you and how many uh pound, pound lists have you seen them lately well i, I tweeted that's funny you asked i tweeted that out. I, I hate pound for pound lists I, I like to look at them i don't like to make them i just think there's just there's just too subjective i don't even know what the criteria is anymore it's about I, the time i, 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 I do I, my own right i tweeted out i don't do pound for pound lists but if i did chocolatito would be in it and if and yours better have them in there too Because he belongs in it. I mean, he beat. I thought he beat Estrada. Uh, I thought he beat Rung Vasai that first time. Maybe there the first a, time there isn't a rematch. Obviously, he, he lost the second one. But who knows if they even have a rematch? He, he could arguably be undefeated right now. Yes, yes. I mean, but then again, we cannot control circumstances. We can only control uh, mindset. And the mindset in somebody like Chocolatito is uh, another loss doesn't make me or break it because up until he faced somebody like Rung Vasai and there was that doubt in the first fight. Mm-hmm. And he lost in an indecisive way by Rumi Visaya in the second fight. Yeah. Very, very clear win. He was unbeatable and nobody wanted to fight with him. Well, I don't know true. if you remember this. Yeah. He had a hard time finding opponents. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, because that's the way we look at fighters. We only look at the last fight and see, okay, who, where does he go? For example, in the pound per pound list, but also, on opponents because he went through so many opponents in such a quick way and mastering them. So it was like, ah, we have nobody to, to really have him compete with. Right. Do you remember Gennady Golovkin until he fought uh, Daniel Jacobs? Right. He had right. a hard time finding an opponent mm-hmm. and it wasn't until Danny exposed certain, you know, defense issues yeah. that Canelo said, Oh, okay, I'll find him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's part of the, uh, you know, the, the price of being one of the top dogs is you become the boogeyman or you become, uh, but HBO, I mean, you know, Peter Nelson gets a lot of flack for being the guy that took HBO off the, the air, but he was also the guy that put Roma Gonzalez and the Superfly yes. on the air. So, you know, I know he's a, a name that boxing fans do not like, but you have to uh, appreciate the fact that, uh, that um, sorry, Chocolatito was able to you know, get a platform around 2015-ish, 2016 fighting mm-hmm. underneath Triple G. Those are some electric, electric fight nights claudia i love talking boxing with you i want to keep bringing you on this show because Anytime. you are experienced and you know your stuff and it's great uh, appreciate you uh 
coming on and hopefully uh we can call fight again soon we can hang out smoke some yes. cigars drink some whiskey not on the air maybe on the air who knows maybe the on the air is. i don't know they gotta start like us like you said at the beginning of this let's lighten it up this is sports like let me let me wear a, a you know a hoodie and let me smoke a cigar on the air can okay. i take that in right i'm gonna can you put that in writing i'm put gonna take that contract. to the higher ups my next contract will have that awesome thank you thank Claudia you for, for inviting me it's such a pleasure See you next time.